Our efforts do not earn us God's grace. They simply position us for increased blessing. This is the fourth message in the series, Raising Resilient Kids and Adults. The message is entitled, Say Yes, Say No, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. We started this series several weeks ago and our focus really has been upon the word resilient or resiliency. And we've been talking about the power of what it means to be a resilient person and to also raise resilient kids. If you're going to be successful in life and if your children are going to be successful, they have to learn something about and develop this thing called resiliency. It's extremely important. You might say, what is resilience? And I've used the basketball to try to help us to, in an object lesson, understand what resilience is all about. Resilience is about the ability to bounce back, to rebound from things that are hard and difficult in life in such a way that those things, those hard things, don't deform you or damage you in such a way. You can bounce this ball on a hard surface all day long, and it's not going to damage the ball. It's not going to deform the ball. I'll tell you why, because this ball is resilient. It's resilient. It has the ability to rebound or bounce back because of its shape. It's shaped the right way, and it has the right amount of the right stuff on the inside. If you drain out a certain amount of air from this basketball, it's going to fall flat. If this ball was a different shape, if it had bumps on it, if it was shaped in the shape of a football. Footballs don't bounce very well, but basketballs and soccer balls, they bounce well. Why? Because of the shape and because they have the right amount of the right stuff on the inside. If you want to be successful in life and everything that God has called you to be, you've got to be resilient. You've got to be shaped the right way. You have to have the right amount of the right stuff on the inside. And if you want your kids to do so, they also need to be shaped well, and they need to have the right amount of the right stuff inside of them because resilience starts on the inside of us. It's a, in, an inside job, as I talked about a couple of weekends ago. Now, when it comes to resiliency, there are a number of things that go into the process of making a person resilient. We talked about the importance of building gratitude into your life, that internally you become a grateful person because grateful people, people who know how to give thanks and live a life of gratitude, become resilient in the way that they live. That is, their life goes a lot better. They bounce back better from difficulties. The same is true for your children because you cannot prepare the pathway for your child. Your child, just like you, will face all kind of difficulties and challenges in life. And so while you can't prepare the road for your child, you can prepare your child for the road. And one of those qualities that will prepare them for whatever comes their way is the attitude of gratitude. And then last weekend, I started talking about another very important aspect of resiliency. And I'll write the word on the board We looked at the word last week. We'll continue looking at that word today. And here's the word. It is the word discipline. Say it with me. You will never become a resilient person, nor will your your child become resilient without being introduced to and having the experience of proper discipline in one's life. So today, I'm going to talk about two basic things relative to this idea of discipline, its connection with resiliency, and let's learn some things about it that will help us as parents and help us as individuals. Here's the first principle for this weekend. Discipline brings rewards. The lack of it creates regrets. 
Resilient discipline in your life that is building into your life the right kind of discipline is the extremely important because it brings the rewards of life to you, and the lack of discipline always will create regrets for your life. Which is better, a reward or a regret? There's no question about it. I think all of us would agree that rewards are far better than regrets, and there is a certain pathway to rewards that we must learn about. You must learn it. Your children must learn it as well. And that pathway to being rewarded comes through the experience called discipline. Now, there's an opposite thing going on in our culture today. In our culture today, there's kind of this mindset that I'm owed something. I don't need to work for it. Just, just, just because I'm being and because I'm living, I'm, all, I'm owed a certain amount of things. And, and sometimes this word gets used in a political frame. I'm not using it in a political frame. I'm using it today just to help us to understand what this is called. It's called an entitlement mentality that I'm just owed something without any effort given on my part. That's the idea. I don't have to do anything, but you owe me everything. That's kind of the culture that we live in today. I deserve it. And it's an unhealthy and it's, un, it's an unbiblical view of life. Again, I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not anything other than that. And so I want to try to lay out for you the biblical understanding of the importance of discipline in your life. The Bible teaches us that the power of resilient discipline in your life is the very thing that creates the rewards that will come to your life. Because every reward that comes to your life is a combination, according to Scripture, of two things working together. First of all, it starts with God's grace. You're rewarded on the basis of grace, and it involves also, at another level, our efforts, as well as God's work and efforts. So any reward you will ever experience in life is found in the combination, the working together of these two things, the grace of God and effort, the work of God or our work. So work is involved. These two words are often viewed as being contradictory theologically, but they're not. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. Actually, they go together. Let's talk about salvation for a moment. When you receive salvation, that is, your name is written in the book of life so that you can go to heaven, how do you and I experience salvation? We experience salvation as a free gift. We don't earn it. We could never earn it. We could never work hard enough or be good enough for God to save us. Impossible to do so because to try to earn salvation would mean that you would have to be perfect or be just like God, and there's no way that we can do that. And so in our own selves, we are lost and doomed to separation from God for eternity, except for the fact that Jesus came and went to the cross and did the work of salvation to offer us the free gift of grace so that we could be forgiven and brought into eternal life. Anyone thankful for the grace of God? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace is free to us, but it was not free to Jesus. It was a work that Jesus did that produced the reward of grace that we experience in our lives. We don't do the work, but he did the work. And so while salvation is free to us, it cost him everything. He had to lay down his life for our sins. So you see this intersection of grace and work together, not in this case our work, 
but in the case of Jesus, his work so that we could experience salvation. And he now offers us the free gift. Having received the gift of grace freely from Jesus, he then expects us to do something with the grace that we've experienced. He expects us to take that grace and get to work using it in our lives. So he didn't save you just to sit. He saved you so that you would serve him with a purpose, that you would get to work doing good things with your life. He empowers you by his grace, but there's also involved in our lives the commitment to be engaged in work. Let's take a look at a few, a few verses of Scripture that help us to understand this. Proverbs 13, verse 4, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. Where does this idea of working hard come from? The importance of reward coming to those who work hard, it comes from the Bible. God is all about work ethic. From the very beginning of time when he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, before the curse of mankind ever happened because of sin, the first thing that he does is he creates Adam and Eve, places them in the garden and says, here's your job. I want you to work this garden. Work is important to God. Actually, when you study the Hebrew language, you'll find out that the word for work and the word for worship are the very same word. So when we work for God, we are worshiping God. We don't work to earn our salvation, but as a result of receiving salvation, we get to work and we need to work with diligence. That is a resilient discipline of work in our lives. Our children need to learn this as well. Proverbs 28, 19, he who cultivates or works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless people and frivolous pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So you either have plenty of bread or plenty of poverty, and it's all related to whether you work or cultivate your land. Are you engaged in doing things that are productive in your life? Ephesians chapter 2, going back to the concept of salvation, the experience of salvation, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from your it is the gift of God, not by works, not by your works or my works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently, earnestly seek him, engage in an activity that involves effort of seeking him. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what? is good. And so God says to us, he reminds us over and over again that if we're going to experience a rewarding life, we have to engage in this thing called work, this thing called effort. We have to discipline ourselves in a certain way that results in the rewarding process being engaged in life. There is no, there is no lasting reward in life without discipline, without effort. Let me say that again. 
There is no reward that will come to life, your life or your children's life, without them experiencing discipline. Discipline is vital to success. It is vital to any dimension of, your, of success. Discipline brings rewards. The lack of discipline always brings regrets. Here's the second principle for us today. Discipline works from the outside in. This is a key principle to grasp as well. It's important to understand how discipline works. If discipline leads to rewards, I need to know how it works, correct? Okay. So how does it work? Discipline doesn't work from the inside out. It works from the outside in. Generally speaking, discipline has to be enforced externally before it is internalized. If you, for example, want to begin to be healthier, your goal is to be a healthier person, probably part of that process is going to involve you changing some aspect of your diet, right? Okay. And so to change your diet, that's an external thing that you do. You need to eat in a more healthy manner. So to eat in a more healthy manner, you change something external. You change what you're eating, and you keep changing it by discipline. You really don't want, as we mentioned last weekend, you really don't want to eat the salad. You want to eat the triple cheeseburger, but you make the choice to eat the salad instead of the triple cheeseburger because you're engaging in discipline. You're saying no to something you need to say no to, and yes to something you need to say yes to. It's not easy. It's not what you feel like doing, but it's something you enforce on yourself as a rule, and then over a period of time, that rule or that discipline turns into a habit. That's how you form habits in your life. Disciplines create habits in your life. Habits are internalized disciplines. That's all they are. And so any realm of life where you want to form a habit requires an external dimension of discipline that eventually results in an internal habit in your life of, in this case, eating a better diet. It works for any realm of life. The same is true for your children. For your children, if they do not have discipline in their life, then they're never going to form the habits that are necessary for them to have a successful life. A key part of being a parent involves creating an, an environment of imposed parental discipline with the goal of your child developing internal discipline or self-control. Let me ask you this question. Would you, do you want to make sure your child grows up and knows how to control themselves? Make good choices. Do you want that, right? Parents, you guys awake this morning? Okay, just want to make sure. Okay. I know it's a little rainy out there. Just want to check it, check it out. A key to your child being successful is eventually they're, they're able to regulate themselves. They make good choices themselves because they know how to control their impulses and defer their gratification. And all these kind of things are extremely important to being successful. If you don't discipline your children, they're never going to develop external discipline of your children. They're never going to learn the internal self-control that is necessary in their life. That's why it is so important to remember that when you became a parent, you were given a very big job. You were given a God, a God assignment in your life. See, having kids is not just for fun and enjoyment. You probably learned that about two hours after you brought the baby home, right? Okay. 
and they're waking you up in the middle of the night. And you're thinking, I thought this was all going to be fun. I thought it was just going to be about decorating a nursery, and it's going to be so fun. And, all. and then you realize, my goodness, this baby cries every, every, every 15 minutes, and I've got to feed them and take care of them. And you begin to realize there's a responsibility that goes along with this thing. So while your, your kids are going to bring you tremendous joy, and they should bring you tremendous joy, what you and I need to understand is that that's not the primary purpose of having a child. The primary purpose of having a child is not that they would bring you joy. The primary purpose of having a child is that you would raise them in a way that will be honorable to God and they will have a successful life themselves. Kids are given to parents to train. Okay? And that means you need to value their respect. You need to value not only just their, their sense of friendship. As I've told you before, your, your primary goal is not to be your child's friend. Your primary goal is to be your child's parent, to be their teacher, to be their guide, to be their God-given authority. And sadly, what's happened in our culture is a lot of parents don't understand that they have this responsibility. You are, if you're a parent here today, you are the primary, you're the person that is primarily responsible for your kids. The school is not primarily, primarily responsible for your kids, okay? I'll say that again. The primary responsibility for raising your, your kids is not the school's responsibility. That's why you need to know what's going on in whatever school your, your child is in. That's why we have the opportunity in our country to make our voice known as parents related to what we want our children to learn or not learn. And we, we have a voice in that. It's called school boards. And so you have the opportunity of speaking into that as a parent. Why? Because you care about what your kids are receiving when they're away from home, when somebody else is talking to them. Why? Because you, you're the parent, okay? You have primary responsibility. The church doesn't have primary responsibility for raising your kids, we're here to support you, to do everything that we can. We do our best to have a, an excellent children's ministry, a youth ministry. We're always trying to improve that. But at the end of the day, we only will have your child for a couple of hours at the most every week. It's your job to raise your kids. The government is not responsible. The school's not responsible. The church isn't responsible. You're responsible for what happens with your children. Okay? And one day, you're going to give an account to God for what you did as a parent. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I don't want you to be surprised one day when you're standing before God and God says, hey, you're a parent, right? Yeah, how did you handle your kids? Well, I didn't know I was responsible. Okay. I thought those other people were, were responsible. I thought the school did it, the church did it. All this. No, God says, I, I gave the child to you and I gave the child to you because I was entrusting to you, I was stewarding to you a responsibility. Now, you will never be a perfect parent. It's impossible to be a perfect parent. My wife and I have two daughters that we raised. We were not perfect parents. Close to it, but not quite, okay? <laughs> You could ask either of our daughters. They will tell you some of the mistakes that we made raising them. I've talked to them at times about some of the mistakes we made. But you're never going to be a perfect parent, but you can be a growing parent. Okay. That day by day and experience by experience, you're learning new things, but you're taking this responsibility seriously in your life. You cannot even control the person that your child will become. You can't control that. All you can do is do your best, assuming the responsibility God has given to you to train them in the way that you're called to train them and giving them everything they need in their life. And a big part of what your child needs is, what is it? 
That's a huge part of what your child needs because it's going to form something on the inside of them. Now, let's talk about discipline for a moment. If you study, first of all, the Bible, okay, and then you study uh, psychology and sociological studies related to family, a healthy families, family dynamics, and things of that nature, you'll discover, and I'm going to simplify this because I don't, there are many nuances that we could talk about here. I don't have time today to go into all the different nuances of these things I'm going to share with you, but there are three basic types of parents, okay? And you're going to have to determine today which of these three you are, okay? And be honest with yourself because there's probably some adjustment that all of us as parents are going to need to make today. The first type of a parent is what we would call a permissive parent when it comes to discipline. By and large, the only word they know with their kids are, is the word yes. Okay. They have very little control over what the child does. You know these parents because you see them at Safeway. The kids are running everywhere, and there's no control, and you're wondering, will somebody get a handle on that child, okay? Well, probably what's going on is that parent either hasn't accepted that responsibility, or they don't know how to handle that, and they haven't learned from, especially in early age, how to establish some things we're going to talk about today. But this yes, and we live in a culture today that, again, has a lot more permissive parents than we've ever had before just letting kids do whatever they want to because they put up a fight with you, and so I don't want to fight with them. I'll just let them do what they want to do. That's called being permissive, okay? Right? Everybody got that? That's number one. Here's the second category of parents. There are going to be different names if you study this. These are my terms, okay? The second one is a rigid parent. The rigid parent is the parent that is over-dominating, over-controlling, very restrictive. The only word they know is the word no, Okay? Everything's no. You can't do anything. There's no freedom given to a child at all. And so you have on one end of, a, of the continuum, the permissive, yes, 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 just get out of my hair, do whatever you want to do. Yes, 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 just get away from me, okay? No, 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 can't do anything, okay? That's the end of the continuum. The third category is what I would call a reasonable parent. A reasonable parent is someone that is firm but flexible, they're not dominated by emotions in their interactions with their children. They're dominated by wisdom and by reason. They're not reacting emotionally in a moment to a situation with their child, but they're, they've learned to set proper boundaries, to enforce those boundaries reasonably. Now think with me for a moment. Permissive, rigid, reasonable. Which of those three would you think would, would result in the healthiest child? You guys are brilliant. Okay. A plus, okay. It's like you step back from it and think about it, and it makes sense, right? This is exactly what the Bible teaches us, that what you want to be with your child is you want to be a reasonable disciplinarian, okay? Both of those words are important, a reasonable disciplinarian. Your child needs discipline, external discipline in their life if they're ever going to learn internal discipline because discipline starts on the outside and works its way inside. Let me stop. Is everybody with me so far? Okay. Very, very important. I'm teaching you a parenting seminar here. Okay. So it's not about a sermon today. I'm trying to help you as a parent and help you as a pastor learn these biblical principles for your life. So how do we become reasonable parents? Because this is what will make your child successful, a reasonable disciplinarian. Here are 10 things. <clears throat> Number one, you've got to create an atmosphere of love and security in your home. Your children need to know that you love them. 
You need to communicate that to them. You need to tell them, honey, I love you. I really do love you. I value. Sadly, there are people in this room today, people watching online, that you never heard your mother or your father say, I love you. There are a lot of kids that will grow up and they've never heard those words. Don't be one of those parents. You need to say to your child, honey, I love you. I value. I appreciate you. You're very special to me. You need those words and actions that communicate unconditional love. Why? Because love creates security. Where would you be in your relationship with God if you didn't know that he loved you? Okay. You can't respond to God well until you're secure in his love. The Bible says perfect love drives out fear. And so you need the awareness of the love of God even to respond to the discipline of God. God disciplines us because he loves us, but love is where it all starts. So the question is, do your children know how much you really do love them? Have you communicated it? Jesus himself appreciated and experienced the benefit of his father communicating love to him before he began his earthly ministry. As he comes up out of the waters of baptism at the Jordan River, God speaks from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased that before Jesus started his earthly ministry, he entered into it with the affirmation of his father. And I will say something as well. Dads, I touched on this last week. You're very important in this process as well. Moms have a little easier tendency to communicate love, perhaps, and nurturing than dads do. But dads, you need to say that to your kids as well. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I care about you. Communicate that to your children. It's never too late to start doing that. Amen? Okay? Do it now. Okay? That's called being reasonable. If they don't know that you love them, it's going to be hard for any of the rest of what I'm going to talk about to really happen in their lives and to happen for you as a parent. So create an atmosphere of love and security. Number two, set proper boundaries. A boundary is a rule or it is a set of what is right and wrong in in several categories. Listen closely. Setting boundaries, what is acceptable in our home in terms of behaviors, what is acceptable in our home in terms of attitudes what is acceptable in our home in terms of actions, things that we do to one another, interactions, relational interactions, and what we do in our home in terms of words that are spoken, okay? We have some boundaries here in our house. In our house, this is what is acceptable, and this is what is not acceptable. This is what we're going to allow, and this is what we do not allow, and you need to set these boundaries. By the way, you've been authorized by God to set some boundaries in your home. That's what it means to be a parent. That you set some rules that the family lives by, that the household lives by, that your children live by, and you need to take this seriously. Why? Because boundaries produce security. Have you ever driven across, any of you here ever driven across the Bay Bridge, coming out of Annapolis, heading over toward Kent Island? Anybody ever been over that bridge before? Raise your hand. If you've been over that bridge, you know what I'm talking about, or any major bridge. How would you like to drive across the Bay Bridge with no guardrails at all? Think about it. No guardrails at all. Why do they put guardrails up? It's not just to keep you from going over. It's to help you psychologically realize there's a boundary there and to keep you in your lane, okay? The same is true in a family. You need something to help your children understand what the lanes are. 
Here are the lanes. Here are the guardrails. I'm not going to let you go. If I see you going over that boundary, I'm going to say something to you about this. We're going to deal with this. We're going to help you to realize that's dangerous. You're going to get yourself in trouble. And I love you too much to let you do that in your life. So a boundary is not just being restrictive for restrictiveness sake. It's for the sake of caring for your child. Boundaries communicate love. Thank God for somebody that put up guardrails on the Chesapeake Bridge. Okay. They must have loved us, okay? And the same is true for a parent. So set proper. Notice proper. Don't make unreasonable rules in your life. And don't make 500 rules, okay? God only gave us 10, okay? <laughs> right, okay? God said, let me tell you what I want you to hear 10, okay? And some parents, they got 500 rules in their house. Like a two-year-old can't remember that, okay? A two-year-old can only remember about three or four rules at one time, Okay? And so you've got to be aware of the fact, what are the proper boundaries, and you can change them as they get older. All right? Let's go to the next one. Enforce boundaries effectively, consistently, and in agreement. A boundary is no good unless you enforce it. Okay? If you set a rule in your family, don't let your kids get by with it. Okay? Let's use an example for teenagers for a moment. Teenager just got some freedom. Teenager gets to go out at night on Friday night, and you set a curfew for them. That cur- curfew, let's say, is 10 p.m., okay? Some of the teenagers are going to get real mad at me right now, okay? I'm just going to use this as an, ex- as an example. The curfew is 10 p.m. That's the boundary. We don't want you coming in at 10.02. We don't want you coming in at 10.05. We really would like to see you at 9.55 because if you're late, if you're on time, you're late, okay? So if you will... 10 o'clock is the boundary. Once you're sitting in the den, by 10 o'clock, if you go out, that's the boundary. Now, you want to enforce that by having consequences that go along with the breaking of that, 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 that boundary, that, that, the impingement of that boundary. And the time to set the consequence is not in the heat of the moment. Because if you've had three times in a row that your child has come in late and you're getting frustrated and upset about it, you're going to slip into an unreasonable mode and your emotions are going to take over. And so you set the consequences before there's an infraction. You let the child know, if you do this, this is what the consequence will be. How many of you know that if you drive at 60 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone and you go past a, 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 a speed camera and it flashes, you can expect a ticket in the mail. Anybody know that, right? And you know that that's the consequence, okay? And the same is true with a child. This is what the consequence is. And so with every boundary, you want to establish some consequences. So before the event happens, you can say, oh, by the way, didn't we discuss this? Do you remember what we said the the, 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 the enforcement of this, the consequence was, was going to be, and you, you don't have to get all emotional about it. It's already said. It's just established, okay? But then you need to do that consistently. If you just enforce it every now and then, they're not going to learn the value of this. Here's the deal. What you're trying to teach them is not that you're trying to restrict their life. You're trying to teach them how to be responsible. That's all you're trying to teach them. And with responsibility comes more freedom, Amen? Okay? The more responsible you are, the more freedom that I can give you. If you can show me that you can come in at 10 o'clock like I ask you to do, and we see that over a period of time, and I can trust that this is what's going to happen, 
then I can, I can move it up to 11 p.m. because I trust what you're doing. And so freedom comes with responsibility. So you're measuring this and you're learning, are they internalizing, are they, are they able to discipline themselves? And then also do it in agreement. What I mean by that is this. If you're married, you and your husband, you and your wife, you need to come into agreement. Your spouse, you need to agree with what the boundaries are. Because kids are amazing. They know how to drive a wedge when mom and dad don't agree. Well, dad said, mom said, okay. And before long, they, before long mom and dad are arguing with each other and the kid's walking off sky-free, okay. <laughs> Took care of that one, okay, right? And so... You want to set things, establish things between yourself. If you're in a situation where you're sharing custody, do your best to try to work out with that other party what, what, the, what the rules are going to be. But try to come to a level of agreement regarding what the boundaries are going to be and how they're going to be enforced. All right? Next one. Reward obedience. What I mean by that is this. Don't just acknowledge the, good, the bad things they do. Be aware of the good things they do. Affirm them for what they do well. Let them know when you see them doing well. Let them know about it. Speak up and communicate that with them. They don't want to just hear from you when, you're, when they're doing badly. They, they need to hear from you when they're doing well. The next one, exemplify and teach proper morals and priorities. They need to not only hear you say it, they need to watch you do it, okay? That you're doing what you say. You do and say in a way that's consistent, okay? You're not telling them to do one thing and you're doing something else, Okay? You're not spending all your day on the phone when you're telling them not to be on the phone all day, right? Okay. Boy, I got real close on that one, didn't I? Okay. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to meddle in your business right there. But you, you have to have a consistency in what you say and what you do. Amen? Right? Okay. Because they're, they're going to pay far more attention to what you do than what you say. Right? Next one. Stay engaged, attentive, and responsive to your children's attitudes, actions, activities, and influences. Intervene appropriately and proactively. What I mean by that is just stay engaged. Know what's going on with your child. Be aware of what they've got on their phone. If they're not handling, handling their phone well, you have the right. Most of you parents, many of you parents perhaps don't know this. You actually have the right to take the phone away from your child. Did you know that? Okay. They actually have the right to do that. Amen? Okay. You have to have the right to say, honey, give me your phone. You're not going to use it anymore. You haven't been using it responsibly, okay? Until we can make sure you use it responsibly, hey, we're going to make some changes here. And if they're using it responsibly, reward them. Tell them, good, good, good job. But be aware. You don't, you're not going to know what they're doing if you don't pay attention to it. If you don't know what they're doing on social media, if you don't know what they're doing, you've got you to pay attention to these kind of things. My kids knew when they were growing up, they understood this. Ask them. Ask my daughters. They knew that they told me they were going to go somewhere. They better be where they told me they were going to be because daddy just might show up. <laughs> oh, you said you were going to be at such a... I think I'll drop by there about 9.30 tonight just to check in on you. And many times I didn't even tell them. And then you begin to see a pattern, not because I didn't trust them, but I wanted them to know, I care about you. If you're telling me something going on in your life, I, I, I care enough. I'm not disengaged from your life. And so stay involved in your kids' stuff. Know what's going on. Know their friends, as we talked about last week. Be attentive. Be responsible. This is your job, okay? It's called being a parent, okay? Amen? Okay? Amen. Create and work to keep communication and connection. You got to work to do this. 
You need to, to have opportunities to talk with your children, but your children aren't going to talk to you when you want them to. Have you ever had these conversations? Your kid comes home from school. How was school, how was school today? Good. What'd you learn? Nothing. <laughs> That's the extent of the conversation, right, kid? And they're not going to open up just immediately to you, so you have to create opportunities. Get them in the car when you're doing some errands. Turn the, uh, the radio off. Turn your, get rid of your phone and, and just be in the car with them for a few minutes. Hang out together. I tell you what will get a, a four-year-old to talk like crazy, a five-year-old to talk by, like crazy, just take them for ice cream. And just sit down in the ice cream. Don't hurry them up. Just say, we're going to sit here for a little bit. And before long... They're just jabbering away. And they're telling you about what's going on in their life. And you have to get a little more creative as the child gets older. But you've got to find ways. You're a parent. Amen? It's a job. Okay? It's a responsibility that you have. And so you create these opportunities. Because I promise you, if you say, sit down, we're going to have a talk. They're not going to talk. Okay? It's a rare child that's going to respond. Some kids are just so amazing they will do that. But, but, but most kids are not going to do it unless something is happening. I learned so many things with my kids when I was driving them to school oftentimes back in the day when they were going to school and they had, had them in the car with me. And before long, they're telling me about a friend and a problem they're having with one of the friends at school or whatever the case might be. And I'm brought into their world and I have little moments that I can have teachable moments with them. Because there's that little, that little window of time and a conversation that comes up to impart wisdom. Next one. Create family moments, okay? Family moments. Let me see if I can explain this one. I'm going to need about five extra, ten minutes extra today. Is that okay? All right, good. It's raining outside anyway. You can't do anything, okay? And I don't think the ball game comes on until later anyway. It's not even going to be a good one, so don't, don't worry about it. Okay, so. <laughs> okay. All right. You didn't know I was a prophet, did you? <laughs> In your family, every family has moments, right? Moments. In your family, think with me for a moment. Every one of you here in the family you grew up in, you had some negative moments, didn't you? Right? We all did, right? Okay. The things that stick in your mind that wasn't the most pleasant memory that you have coming from your family doesn't mean your family was bad because there are no perfect families. But we all have negative memories from family experiences. The best families have them, okay? So let's all, you know, not pretend we have halos on here this morning. We all have, we have issues, right? We all have issues. Nobody's perfect. Okay? And so there's going to be enough negative moments in your family that you have to be very intentional about creating positive moments, okay? Positive moments, just as negative ones do, create the right what? Memories. memories, okay? Moments, memories, moments, memories, moments, memories, okay? And so what you want to build into your child are memories that are positive from family experiences. And that may be things that you start doing together with your child that they enjoy doing. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It can be a very simple little thing that you do. But find out something they enjoy and do it with them. Even though you don't enjoy it, it's okay. Guess what? You're a parent, it's a job, okay? So that's your responsibility to figure those things out, to work with your child in that regard. Also, one of the most important moments that you can create for your child are devotional moments. 
I would really encourage you, if you're not doing so already, to start the process of having daily devotions with your kids. At least having something that is a family time where some, some prayer happens. And I'm not talking, please don't read 15 chapters out of your Bible to them and pray for, for an hour. Don't do that, okay? Don't, but, but just something that's on their level. You say, well, how do I do that? Here's a great resource for you. You have small, younger kids, elementary, elementary age, preschool age kids. Uh, go to Bible apps for kids. Bible app for kids. Uh, just download that app. Some tremendous stuff there for you. Uh, also, just the Bible app is great for teenagers. There's some great things that ha- are there for you as well. And just spend a five minutes before they go to bed. Just give them something spiritual. Start it early. It's always any of the stuff I'm talking about is much better to do if you start when they're two year old, two year old, two years old, rather than trying to start it when they're 15 years old. Okay, okay. Because you got a lot of stuff to catch up with at 15. You have some resistance probably in the process there, okay? But start that process as early as you possibly can with begin to introduce it and make family devotions a part of your life. We'll be trying to provide some additional resources for you in that regard in the days to come. Next one, live a genuine faith. Let your faith be real. Just live for Jesus. Let Jesus be a part of your life, but don't be weird about it, Okay? There's some parents that get so spiritually weird. It's like there's a, like their house is like, oh, and they're walking around quoting Bible verses all day long. And it's like, that's, not, that's great to quote Bible verses, but you don't have to be weird, okay? You just don't have to be weird, okay? Yeah, some problem comes up. Oh, children, we must gather for an intensive time of intercession and spiritual warfare that we might go against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Come on, children, we're going to fast for the next 40 days. That's an exaggeration. The kids are going to say, what? I don't care about that, okay? But if a problem comes up and you say, hey, kids, you know what? Let's pray about this. You know, I was reading my Bible the other day, and I read this promise. I wonder what that means for us. To, you say it like that? I mean, you know, it goes, it goes down a lot better, right? And they begin to realize that my faith is not some weird, strange thing that I do. And getting this... Scrowl on my face because I'm spiritual, okay? I get this misty look in my eye because the Lord has said something to me, okay? And that's just not healthy, okay? So it needs to be a faith that you're living day by day and it's real for you. I'm being a little silly, but I think I'm helping you to understand what I'm trying to communicate, right? Okay? All right? Yeah, okay. I... I wasn't asking for the applause, but I appreciate it. Okay. okay. And then this is the last one. We're going to be done with this. Pray for your children how often? Regularly. Do it regularly. Pray for your kids. Pray for your children. When you are alone with God in your own prayer time, call their names before God. Lord, I pray for Jim. I pray for Tim. I pray for Sally. I pray for whoever. Just name them before God. If you're a grandparent, call your grandkids' names before God in prayer. Let God hear you call their name in prayer. There are people, listen to me, there are people sitting in this room today, watching online today, that you're here today. You know Jesus today because a mother prayed for you or a grandmother prayed for you. Amen, okay? You wouldn't be here today if there had not been a praying grandmother or a praying mother. And you need to be that for your children, okay? And you need to be that for your grandchildren. Because if you'll pray for them, God, there's a specialness that comes when a parent 
prays for their children, when a grandparent prays for their children. The end result of discipline is this. Train up. That's discipline. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we thank you today for the opportunity that we've had to study your word. Lord, we want to learn how to be better at everything that we do, including being better parents. Lord, we've all failed in that area. We ask you for your forgiveness. We ask for your grace to be better parents, to be better grandparents, to be better relational aunts and uncles, Lord. Whatever the role is we have with the next generation, help us to be better at it, Father. Today we pray for our children. Would you right now, if you're a parent here today, would you just just call the, the name of your children in prayer right now and just ask God, would you bless and name them? Lord, guide them. Keep your hand upon them. Come on, name the name of your kids. If you're a grandparent, name the name of your grandchildren today. I'm going to give you just a moment. to Lord, I pray for, lift their name up before God today. Lord, lead them and guide them and draw them to a relationship with you. Help them to find the right mate in life. Help them to do the right, make the right choices in life. Lord, help them to, to not go to the right or to the left. Help them not to turn away from you. Help them to be drawn toward you. If they're away from you, Lord, bring them back to you. We pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren today. In some cases here, we pray for our great-grandchildren today. Lord, we name them before you and ask your blessings to be upon their lives. And Father, we pray that you'd help us as parents to have the wisdom that we need and the strength that we need to do the job that you have called us to do, to be reasonable parents, properly engaged in the lives of our children. And for that, we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. 
Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.